Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimaka Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and it is a big, big week, ladies and gentlemen. UFC 262 is upon us, but we have loads going on as we build up to uh, the big lightweight title fight in Houston, Texas. Sandu, how's things? I'm good. I just got my first vaccine jab. I got it a few days ago. Day one was fine, no issues, no problem. I got the Pfizer brand um, yesterday, which was day two. Yeah, starting to feel fatigued, a little bit worse for wear, but that was expected. And now I'm on day three and I'm feeling fine. So it's nice to kind of get that first vaccine and then hopefully get the second one as soon as possible and just help be part of the process and contribute getting back to a life of normalcy as soon as possible. Yeah, I had mine a week ago and uh for those who, who know me they'll know that i've got a ridiculous needle phobia that i've been avoiding for 25 years or so couldn't really avoid it for this so <laughs> went in got it done um and honestly felt absolutely energized afterwards i'm pretty sure it's not the, the stuff that was put into my arm that did that it's just the fact that i i overcame what was a massive phobia uh that basically cost me uh, two stints at university when I was younger, but also the fact that I've got my first shot and we're on that. We're on our way now. You know, we're, we're partly, partly protected. Uh, and then I've got my next one in, I think end of July. So um, once that's done, then uh, all bets are off. Uh, I can feel fully confident and comfortable starting to go to crowded arenas potentially in the not too distant future. And uh Seeing as seeing as we're talking about cr- potentially going to crowded arenas, Sandu, we've got we've got some emerging news. Nothing official yet, but things are happening, and the UFC could be heading to the UK in the not too distant future. That's right, Simon. So, according to a report by Ariel Helwani, the UFC is exploring the possibility of holding an event in London this August, which is incredible because. You know, if we go back over a year ago, Simon, UFC Fight Night London, Leon Edwards versus Tyron Woodley was the first real casualty of the pandemic and things shutting down. And it's almost poetic that, you know, I know the UFC is doing their thing in the US, but in terms of international markets, putting Fight Island to, to one corner it'd be quite appropriate and quite nice for them to return back to the UK, especially with how great the UK has done. You know, the the job the UK has done with regards to the vaccine roller has been phenomenal. Um, As an outsider living here in Canada, I can only applaud the rollout in the UK. And it looks like things have started to open up and it's going to be back to normal fairly, fairly soon. If it isn't already in most parts of the country and for the UFC, to bring back an event to the UK in London. That would be awesome, especially for all the British fighters that have had to compete on Fight Island or compete in Las Vegas. For them to get the opportunity to fight in front of their own fans would be phenomenal. So that's huge. That's massive. And you can only start to speculate with some of the stars that the UFC have got, Darren Till, Leon Edwards, you know, and especially all the prospects that are coming up in the game now. now. It's just a great time uh, for the UFC to come back to the UK with an event. So that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it really is. And and the magic day is June the twenty first. That is the magic day where 
assuming everything continues trending in the right direction as things touch wood things are doing quite well over here right now um we've we're starting to ease ease up the uh, some of the covid restrictions the next set of eased restrictions kicks in this coming monday the 17th of may we're allowed to have two households visit in the same house again uh the 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 rules on public gatherings are starting to starting to ease a little bit um but june the 21st is a magic day because if we get to june the 21st and we don't experience some sort of major spike or uh, reversal in the trend that is the day when all restrictions on social contact in the UK are going to be lifted. So that then means full arenas again. Uh, at the moment, um, arenas are allowed or are going to be allowed as of, I think, next week. They're going to be allowed to hold either up to 10,000 fans. It's, I think it's 10,000 fans or 20%, I think, whichever number is the smaller. Uh, based on your arena size. So that's how it's going to be for now. And we know that Dana White and the UFC are not interested in holding shows in uh, partly populated arenas. It's all or nothing. They're either going to fill the arena or they're not going to come. So um, August certainly fits that timeline. June 21st means that there's a little bit of time to assess the uh, assess the situation. Um, I'd actually had a bit of a nod that it might be October time. Uh, that the UFC were initially looking uh, for the UFC to come over to London. So um, if it's August, happy days. If it's October, then I'm sure we'll all happily wait an extra couple of months. But the good news is it sounds like they're on their way over. Um, we haven't got anything official yet, but and it must be absolutely, absolutely brilliant for the British-based fighters who have really struggled to get fights over the course of the last few years. Um, more so than most, you think people like Leon Edwards, who has barely had a run out, you know, since the pandemic. So um, it's going to be it's going to be really good news for them. I mean, I think it could potentially be a big a big event for Arnold Allen. He seems to be uh, someone who is really on the way up and deserves a fight against the top contender. Now um, that might be an opportunity for him to maybe even headline. You just don't know, you know. Um, he certainly he's in a position where he could be towards a sharp end of a fight card on home soil. You've got Leon Edwards, of course, Darren Till, obviously he's got, he's got to recover from his injuries. I don't know whether the timeline of August is going to be a bit early for him. Uh, probably is, I would imagine. Um, but who knows, you know, I'm sure if he's fit and ready, he'll want to come back. Um, and of course we've got a load of other guys on the card, uh, uh, sorry, on the roster who, who would obviously be champing in the bit to uh to get back into the cage in front of their fans again and as you say it would be kind of fitting that other than the fight island stuff if the first big event and we don't know if this is the first one right then you know they might go to other countries before the uk but it would be kind of fitting if the uk was the first and if london in particular was the first because that was the moment when the world really shut down um yeah. we had i think the ufc had an event in brazil which they held and then everything just shut down and the first event on their calendar that really got got chopped from the from from the schedule was going to be UFC London in March that was going to be Tyron Woodley versus Leon Edwards of course we know that 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 event no longer happened and uh we all know what's happened since so it would be kind of poetic justice I think for London to be the first one back but I would just be happy to see them back at any point in the next in the next eight to twelve months so um Fingers crossed that all all comes into being, but um, 
it's it's really encouraging and with as you say the vaccine rollout is is going really well and uh fingers crossed we can be in a position where we can put 10 12,000 people uh in the O2 and really really announce the return of uh of, of the UFC in the UK it would be a magic thing but that wasn't the only story that's doing the rounds uh Sandy we've got we've got more stuff sort of bubbling bubbling away under the surface and uh, some big stuff potentially coming down the line yeah well look Conor McGregor, Simon, he has talked about becoming the number one Forbes highest paid athlete for a very long time. And he's finally done it. He's done it in 2021. So according to Forbes, former two division champion Conor McGregor earned a total of $180 million over the last year. A lot of that came from, well, the vast majority of that came from him selling his uh, majority stake in uh, proper number 12, his whiskey brand. That was for uh, $150 million. And uh, in fact, $158 million was completely outside of his fighting career. So according to the report, he made approximately $22 million um, for his fight against Dustin Poirier at UFC 257. And everything else came from proper 12 um his association and endorsement deals with draft kings and roots of fight and some other sponsorship deals but that's just incredible isn't it simon i mean taking that kind of ten thousand foot view knowing how much fighters get paid knowing that the sport is only 27 28 odd years old to see someone break through from the regional circuit to the UFC to use that as a platform to grow his brand, grow his persona, and you know, create all of these other revenue streams. It's phenomenal. You're seeing some of the other fighters in the UFC do this. You've got Jorge Mazadal um, with his Mezcal. I believe Darren Till's got his Raw Dog brand, and he's got beer and hoodies and merchandise. Um, Sugar Sean O'Malley has been pretty smart with his merchandise. So we're starting to see tri the trickle effect of Connor essentially showing the blueprint of how you can make money outside of the sport. And other fighters are starting to do this too. Not to his level, not to his scale just yet, but it's a sign of the times and it's something um, I think we should all applaud. Um, but yeah, Simon, there you go. Connor McGregor, finally the, the number one most highest paid athlete in the world and just to put things into perspective here for you number two so number one was conor mcgregor 180 million dollars number two is Lionel messi 130 million dollars number three is cristiano ronaldo 120 million dollars number four was lebron james 96.5 million dollars number five was Tom Brady at $76 million. And then number six was Kevin Durant with $75 million. So Conor McGregor keeping good company there, mostly with guys from the world of football and the NBA. And that's the thing. I mean, you look at his sporting output in 2021, it amounts to seven and a half minutes. He's competed for seven and a half minutes in 2021. And yet he's raked all that money in. And that just shows you that if you're if you're well managed and you've got a good business manager with you and you're prepared to step outside of your of your lane and try things, 
and you've got that big personality and that force of will, you can achieve incredible things in business. And he really has. You know, I remember when he came onto the scene and uh, won his two Cage Warriors titles, and then there was a real buzz about him. He joined the UFC, and uh, he was on he was on unemployment benefit when he had his first fight against Marcus Brimage in, in Stockholm, Sweden. And he sort of in the press conference, I remember him joking, saying, "I suppose I'm going to have to tell." I'm, I'm going to have to tell the benefits people to do one now because, you know, I'm earning money. He got himself a $60,000 bonus, I think, for that fight. So, and now look at him, number one in the world in terms of earnings, even though sport is no longer his primary earner. This is this is the thing. You look at some of these other sportsmen, you look at Messi, you look at Ronaldo, you, you particularly look at the NBA stars and the NFL uh, NFL stars. They have colossal contracts, like playing contracts. And the balance between what they earn on the field or on the court and off the field is a lot more level. It's, it's not it's not completely level, but it is a lot closer together. You look at McGregor, almost all of that income, well, 60% of that income virtually has come outside of fighting, which is testament to, uh, to just what you can do. So pretty amazing stuff, I have to say. And, uh, you know, all I want now is to see more of him in the cage. And we will see him later this year at UFC 264, where he takes on Dustin Poirier in a fight that will probably net him even more than the 22 million that he got for the rematch uh, last year or earlier this year, rather. So uh, big things there for Conor McGregor and uh, another little achievement on his list, top of the top of the Forbes list. One thing I wanted to mention to you, I, I only saw it this morning, um, Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy, I believe, wants out of his fight contract with the UFC. Um, but the other thing, he, he tweeted about Nick Diaz today. Uh, Dana White had previously said that Nick Diaz was on his way back to the UFC. He's kind of walked that back a little bit recently. Uh, I think he said they've since spoken to Diaz and his manager. And Dana's done that thing where he sometimes does this, where he said, oh, I don't know. I don't know if he really wants to fight. Now, that, that to me is code for... I don't think he wants to accept the money we're offering him to fight. That's that's how I translate that. Uh, if you put that through Google Translate, live Google Translate, that's basically what Dana's saying, isn't it? You know, um, he's not he's not he's not accepting our our, our you know our, our initial offer to to come back. He wants more money than we're prepared to give him. So that's how I read the situation. Dana, uh, uh, Dan Hardy tweeted saying maybe the UFC should just let him out of his fight contract and I can go and fight him in Rising. I'd watch that fight, Sandy. Dan Hardy versus Nick Diaz uh, under rising rules in the Saitama Super Arena. Sign me up. That would be that would be incredible. Yeah. So first of all, a lot of moving parts here, aren't there, Simon? I mean, first of all, it looks like Dan Hardy has um, has you know negotiated him himself out of his UFC contract. So it looks like he's a, a free man, and he's able to to sign for whoever he wants to sign for and, and fight for whatever promotion he wants to fight for. And that's, that's bizarre. That's, that's incredible to me. I always thought just Dan Hardy was kind of like, you know, one of the UFC's, you know, I guess, what's the best word? I guess one of life the best. Yeah. Like a, a life. <laughs> he's obviously worked for them behind the scenes uh, in a, in a broadcast capacity um you know he's been obviously been on the sidelines for, for a while now but i thought if he was to ever come back whether it be a retirement fight or for one or two more that he'd do so under the ufc banner um he just feels like you know it was him 
Bisping, there was this couple of British guys that I thought they helped put the UFC on the map. They helped the UFC grow in the UK market specifically. Look at Bisping. Bisping is an absolute lifer. He's got an incredible post-fight career with the UFC, and I thought Dan Hardy would, would be the same. So that's interesting to, to note, first of all, that you know he's parted ways. It looks like he wants to fight again. And you're bang on the money, Simon. The, the Nick Diaz quote is similar to another quote that I saw this week, and it was about Kayla Harrison and Dana White saying he doesn't think that Kayla Harrison would be ready for the UFC. And I'm like, we've kind of heard these quotes before nine times out of 10 when Dana White says fighter X isn't ready or fighter X. He doesn't believe that they want to fight. It typically typically comes down to things that are going on behind the scenes. It comes down to negotiation. It comes down to uh, opponent. It comes down to money. It comes down to what the UFC are offering and perhaps what the, the fighter in question is or is not willing to accept. But I can tell you right now, Simon, there's no chance in hell that Dana White and the UFC are going to let Nick Diaz walk out of their promotion, walk out of their organization to go fight for Ryzen or Bellator or One Championship or whatever the case may be. So wishful thinking uh, from Dan Hardy. And if we lived in a much more open and free market when it comes to fighters fighting for whoever they want to fight for, etc. I'd love to see Nick Diaz as Dan Hardy, especially under the rising banner, under their rules rule set. That would be great. But yeah, that is not happening. I think Nick Diaz will fight again. He's in incredible shape. I think this is just coming down to him and his management team and the UFC behind the scenes figuring it all out. The opponent, the date, the money, all that good stuff. That's, that I feel like is the only thing that needs to happen. He is going to fight again. I, I I believe that. And I think it will be, and I'm 100% certain it will be under the UFC banner. Dan Hardy is the story to monitor here, Simon. Where he fights, who he fights, what he looks like, what the, this next stage of his career looks like. That's going to be fascinating to monitor moving forward. Yeah. And I'm just thinking right now, where, where would be a good landing spot for Dan Hardy right now? If Rising did a Grand Prix, and they do in, they do enjoy a tournament over at Rising. If they did a uh, a lightweight or a featherweight Grand Prix, um, I don't know if Dan could get down to 145. He maybe could, um, but uh, certainly certainly 155. If they did that, that would be a great spot for him. Go get yourself into a little tournament. Um, it's a shame in many ways that he's just a little bit after the start of the PFL. Dan, I think, would be incredible in the PFL. I think that would be a really interesting storyline to follow. Uh, Dan Hardy in the 155 pound PFL tournament would be would be great. Um, but obviously that ship has kind of sailed unless he jumps in as some sort of alternate. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, would 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 he would he go fight for Bellator? Maybe. Would Bellator have him? Maybe. Um, you know, I think there's a certain there's a certain uh, I don't know whether you call it point scoring potential there, where you know. He could jump from the UFC to the UFC's competitors. Uh, he could even become part of the, you know, the broadcast setup there eventually. You know, like, he 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 brings a lot more to the table than just his fighting ability. Um, everything he does outside of the cage could potentially be leveraged into the Bellator brand. And Bellator have their European arm as well. He could be a major, a major presence for them uh, if that if that made sense. Obviously. 
he's nicely set up with Cage Warriors from a broadcast perspective. They will always welcome him back. He's an absolute legend uh, when it comes to the Cage Warriors organization. And uh, he always brings added value to those broadcasts. So, yeah, you know, he's still doing bits and pieces. He's still doing his uh, his full reptile stuff on YouTube, which is has, has a lot more breadth in terms of content. It's not just UFC now. They're, they're doing Bellator. I think he might even have talked about Rising and One Championship on there in the past. So it's a much more open-ended sort of channel that he's got going on now. But yeah, I'd love to see him back in there somewhere. Uh, Bellator, I think, maybe makes the most sense. But I'd love to see him fighting in Japan in a Rising tournament. That would be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, Dan Hardy is someone, you know, when he's on form, in shape, on his A game, he's a knockout artist. You know, he, he delivers the goods. He really does. And and I think whatever promotion he ends up signing for, maybe it's not just a fight contract. Maybe it's a more broader deal because we already know he can bring so much to the table as a, a commentator, as an analyst, as someone that can break down fights. Look at his YouTube channel. It's blowing up. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with regards to his fighting career, but also his broadcast career as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh you know, I'd love to see him back in there. I know he's been itching to compete. So uh, fingers crossed he gets the chance with somebody at some point in the not-too-distant future. That, I think, sort of ticks off most of the uh, the major sort of checkpoints in terms of the news over the last seven days. But what's coming up this, this weekend is really what it's all about. UFC 262 in Houston, Texas, a full house expected at the Toyota Center. Um, and what a fight card we have. We've got some absolute bangers on this fight card. I think we just need to take a deep dive into this and just work our way down the fight card and just pick out pick out the uh, the fights we're really looking forward to. Chuck in a few predictions. I know we did some uh, way too early picks uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, let's let's go in here and offer some 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 hard nosed predictions going into this. It is all about the main event, lightweight title is finally up for grabs once again. We had that long, drawn-out situation with Khabib the Magomedov, who retired what seems like an age ago, and the UFC kind of just clinging on to him, desperately hoping that he might come back. And uh, finally, finally, it was confirmed that Khabib has indeed retired. The belt has indeed been vacated. And then it was a case of who's going to fight for the 155-pound belt. Dustin Poirier seemed like an absolute shoe-in. He was... Of, you know, the obvious choice to take on uh, somebody for the belt. Dustin Poirier has uh, has opted to go for the Conor McGregor fight. Um, and, uh, you know, bigger payday, absolutely. But the championship belt is now up for grabs. And the interesting thing, and actually Dan Hardy himself spoke about this to our friends at Submission Radio, actually, earlier this week. We've got two fighters going for this championship at the weekend, Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler Sandu. And had it been any of the other established contenders, and we include Poirier in that, the suggestion from Dan was that if any of those guys, Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor even, had fought for and won the belt, it almost instantly devalues the title because those guys have all been in the cage recently with Khabib and have all been finished by him. So immediately it takes a little bit of the luster off that, off that championship, if you like. So that might also be one of the reasons why the UFC was so happy to make Poirier versus McGregor three. It now means we've got Oliveira and Chandler going for the belt. It is a fresh champion. 
a champion who, if it's Oliveira, will be his ninth win in a row. If it's Chandler, it'll be his second win in the UFC in two fights. Three-time Bellator champion. Then he'll be a UFC champion. And it's someone who whose resume hasn't got that 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 mark of having already been beaten by the outgoing champ. So it's the perfect matchup to take things into the next the next era at 155 pounds. And on top of that, Sandu, it's an absolute cracker of a matchup. Absolute cracker of a matchup. How do you see this stylistically and where are you leaning? I know we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, has your opinion changed or are you still you still leaning towards Charles Oliveira? I'm just slightly leaning towards Charles Oliveira, Simon. I just look at the form guide and, you know, the guy hasn't lost since, what, 2017. Over the last almost three years, he's had eight fights. He's won all eight fights. And the only fight he went to decision was against Tony Ferguson in December. Prior to that, it was seven finishes in a row. And let's, let's face it, it's, it's pretty hard to finish Tony Ferguson. Um, what's fascinating about this fight, Simon, is they're both coming into a situation where they're fighting for a UFC championship belt for the very first time. They are both in a situation where they are headlining a UFC pay-per-view for the very first time. The fact that Nate Diaz was going to be competing against Leon Edwards on this card initially almost helped them because I guess they both knew going into fight week that Nate Diaz would get all the attention from the media. He'd be the one that would have to carry, I guess, the heavy water to promote this card. He, w- he would have been the draw. With him now you know, um, you know, injured and kind of moved on to the next pay-per-view with, with Leon, I feel like... I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Is there more pressure? Is there less pressure? Um, I would imagine that they're now going to get the bulk of the questions from the media in terms of content coming out of this card. It's going to be about those two guys, and it's going to be about Tony Ferguson. That that that's the, the 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 vast majority of where content is coming out with with regards to the media who are on site for this particular event. Michael Chandler, Simon looks so confident every time he talks he's he's oozing confidence he almost has willed this in, into existence you look at his social media posts he's his sign off is see you at the top well we're going to see him at the top of this card on saturday night but he's got such a monumental challenge on his hands in charles Oliveira, and it's been a little bit bizarre simon heading into this particular card because normally headliners I'm looking at social media output, like how are they promoting this um, opportunity? How are they making it known? How are they making it uh, aware to the masses that, hey, I'm competing on this card. I'm fighting for a UFC championship. You have checked me out on this date. I've seen Michael Chandler do the work on social media. Charles Oliveira just doesn't seem that kind of guy to me. He, He does post on Instagram and he does tweet, but it's not something that galvanizes the masses galvanizes a mass audience to to let it be known he's just not that kind of guy he is just not that kind of character he literally he is that kind of fighter that he does all of his talking in the cage he does all of his talking in the octagon and he's just been looking so zeroed in and so focused and i don't see a lack of confidence i don't see him being weary about this challenge and that's why i'm picking him to win simon Charles Oliveira, like we we spoke about it last week, he's almost like the Brazilian Tony Ferguson, except 
the only difference perhaps is I feel like Charles Oliveira has had a little bit of luck go you know his way, whereas Tony Ferguson has had a, an extremely bad run of luck, especially with all of those Khabib fights. So yeah, sticking to my guns, Simon Charles Oliveira, Du Bronx is going to be the new lightweight champion. And 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 by the way, I agree with Dan's take. If we had anybody in the situation that had previously fought Khabib, it would have been a little bit weird. And we're naturally all you know going to be comparing the lightweight championship for the foreseeable future as a comparison to Khabib and his run and his reign. And every champion is going to get, get, get compared to him. Just, just like every welterweight champion post GSP has had to be compared to, you know, what he put into the game and, and his legacy. That's natural. But to have two guys competing for a championship that never fought Khabib that have got no history with him, I think is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think this is a fascinating matchup and, I like the fact that we're getting a fresh champion. I like the fact that uh, neither guy has fought Khabib. So you haven't immediately got that knock on them. You know, it's like, a, oh, well, you know, Khabib's already beaten him. So we we, we don't have that. Um, I'm leaning the other way. I'm leaning towards Michael Chandler. Um, yeah, Charles Oliveira's got the resume if you look at the UFC. Um, eight wins in a row. Can't argue. Seven finishes. He's an outstanding contender and deserves his shot of the belt. Michael Chandler is a big game performer. He is an elite athlete. You think elite athlete, you think of top level NFL stars, you know, people who are at the absolute peak of their physical condition. Michael Chandler is one of those guys, right? He is absolute top draw as an athlete. Um, his mindset seems pretty bulletproof. He knows how it is to compete for championships. Yeah. It's in Bellator. So Bellator, scale-wise, their events aren't as big as a UFC event. He's competed in big arenas in front of big crowds. This is not new to him. Um, he's also taken on world-class opposition um, and former champions, by the way, you know, people like Benson Henderson and people like this. So he has been in there with elite-level competition in Bellator, not as frequently, perhaps. But then you look at you look at the eight men Charles Oliveira's put away. Are they... Are they all absolute top-of-the-shop UFC lightweight contenders? No, they're not. No, they're not. Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson are undoubtedly the two biggest and best names on that list. But the rest of them are, are guys who are either sort of veterans or prospects. They're not established contenders, a lot of those guys. So I think we have to run run that through and realize that if we're talking someone who's been through a murderer's row and knocked everybody over, Charles Oliveira hasn't been through the murderer's row. Yeah, he's on an eight-fight win streak. He's not beaten. It's not like he's knocked over all the other 155-pound contenders to get here. Um, he's on the best win streak, and because of that, he deserves his shot. Michael Chandler, one fight into the UFC. So a lot of people will use that against him and say, well, you know, he's had one fight. You know, how does he deserve a title shot? He's had a lot of fights. He's had a lot of fights. He's had a lot of title fights as well. He's had a whole bunch of title fights. He's a three-time Bellator lightweight ch uh, champion. Um, he's used to the big game. I think Charles Oliveira, if he gets the fight to the floor, it's definitely advantage Du Bronx if it goes to the mat with him in a good position. Michael Chandler's wrestling, however, is outstanding, and I think he has the ability to keep it standing. If he keeps it standing, I would fancy Michael Chandler over Charles Oliveira in an MMA kickboxing match. So if it's just basically turns into a striking match, 
Michael Chandler's got the explosive power. He's got the ability to go five rounds. He's done it. He's done it in the past. He knows what it's like to perform under the big lights, under championship conditions. And for that reason, and the fact I think mentally, I think he might be the stronger of the two uh, competitors. I'm going with him. I think Michael Chandler's going to get the job done on Saturday night. But they're such contrasting athletes, aren't they? You know, you've got Oliveira, who is he's actually striking isn't that bad. His striking has come on a bundle over the last the last two three years, and he he's dangerous with his hands now. But his bread and butter is his is, is his Brazilian jiu jitsu, and he's absolutely outstanding on the mat. Michael Chandler, heavy handed uh, wrestler, knockout power. So, you know, they are, they're almost polar opposites in terms of how they're going to approach this. It's going to be really, really interesting to see this fight play out stylistically on fight night. You're going for Char- Charlie Olives. I'm going for uh, Michael Chandler. And we'll see which one of us uh, is going to be uh, feeling slightly smug about it next week. Yeah. What's interesting about Charles Oliveira, Simon, is obviously we know he's a submission machine, but he's got a few you know, TKO and KO wins on his record over the last couple of years. And look... You know, he went a full three rounds, a full three rounds with Tony El Kakui Ferguson and won a decision. And anyone that can, you know, keep it toe-to-toe with Tony Ferguson for 15 minutes and get the nod by the judges tells you everything you need to know about where his stand-up skills have got to. But yeah, I'm kind of glad we're split on this main event because we'll see who gets the bragging rights a week from now. I wonder if we're going to be split on this next one. You mentioned Tony Ferguson. That's the man who's involved in the co-main event, former interim champion, arguably the most unlucky lightweight in UFC history. I mean, this man surely, surely should have either won the UFC lightweight title or at least fought for the damn thing uh, against Khabib Magomedov. It never happened. Some of the circumstances that led him to not fight Khabib are almost comic, other than the fact that, you know, it's probably, you know, crippled his career from an earning standpoint at points and obviously you know he had a knee, knee reconstruction after falling over that uh that tv cable on the fox tv set in brooklyn that cost him his shot at the belt at, at 223 um it's 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 bizarre they could make a film on tony ferguson's career where people wouldn't believe it actually happened it's mental he's now taking on benil dariush in the co-main event and all eyes are on tony ferguson here because the big question and I wrote about this for Paddy Power today, um, is has Tony Ferguson still got it? Is Tony Ferguson still an elite level 155-er or are his best performances in the rearview mirror? That's what we don't know. We know that he got beat by Charles Oliveira last time out and he didn't just get beat. Charles Oliveira beat him pretty handily. It went a a distance, but Oliveira won it, I thought, pretty decisively. and that's back-to-back losses for Tony Ferguson now. That had never previously happened. But before then, I think he won 12 straight um, and uh, was basically, he'd done everything bar win the undisputed title. He's now got a bit of a rebuilding job. He loses this weekend. That's three in a row, which is unthinkable for a guy, a few, a few, you know, just a year and a bit ago, was on a 12-fight win streak. So um, but he's taken on Benil Dariush. And Benil Dariush is not one of the UFC lightweight division's household names, but he is without doubt one of the most dangerous names in the UFC lightweight division because he can do a little bit of everything. He's got heavy hands in the striking realm. He's happy to to stand there and throw leather with people 
And when he catches you in that sort of situation, as he's proved in a few of his recent performances, he can put your lights out. But where Benil Darius really excels is on the mat. His jiu-jitsu is outstanding at 155 pounds. And yeah, Tony Ferguson likes likes his chances on the mat with his jiu-jitsu as well. Tony Ferguson, I think, takes a lot of chances uh, in his fights. Uh, he's got that very unusual style. Benil Darius is a bit more compact. Um, his striking is a little bit wild at times, but when it comes to his mat skills, he's a lot more polished. And um, I, I, I was doing like a best bets thing for Paddy Power, and I looked down the odds. You can get Benil Darius to win by submission at 7-1. to one on Saturday night that if that fight goes to the mat seven to one is going to look absolutely huge. So um, that's something, something to bear in mind if you're, if you're looking to put a bet on this weekend, but yeah, if Tony Ferguson's at his best, he should win. I think, but I don't know if Tony Ferguson's at his best. I've gone with Benil Darius. Uh, I last time we spoke, I said I was leaning Tony Ferguson I've looked at it and I've, I think I said at the time I made that pick with my heart rather than my head. I've looked at it. I've decided to pick with my head and my head says Benil Dariush is going to get this one done. Um, but no one would be happier than me to see Tony Ferguson get a win. Benil Dariush, by the way, one of the sports really nice guys could not meet a nicer bloke in the sport. Uh, but I think a lot of the hardcore fans would love to see Tony Ferguson finally get his shot at UFC gold. And if he gets a win on Saturday, who knows, maybe you'll get it. Yeah, talking about picking with your heart or your head, that's exactly where I'm at with this one, Simon. No knock against Benil Dariush whatsoever. You know, would love to see him climb the ranks. And this is exactly why this fight has been put on. He's ranked number nine. Tony Ferguson is ranked number five. This is a good step up in competition for Benil Dariush. It's someone that's got a number next to the name ahead of him in the top 10. This is absolutely perfect matchmaking for Benil Dariush. Absolutely. But you, you, you hate to see Tony Ferguson, given the the bad luck of run he had when he was interim champion, all those fights that could be that never happened. Given the fact that, you know, things got switched on him, you know, a year just over a year ago, you know, to fight Justin Gaethje on short short notice, completely different um styles matchup compared to Khabib. That didn't go his way. And obviously, you know, the the year in total um was not good, you know, especially when he kind of you know, bounced off that Justin Gaethje loss and rolled right into a loss against Charles Oliveira. I mean, the two losses he's had in the last, what, you know, little while have been against a former <laughs> lightweight interim champion and someone that's competing for the legitimate, undisputed lightweight championship this weekend, which is bizarre. Um, but I'll, I'd like to see him win. And you know what, Simon? Like I said, I'm going to be picking with my heart this one. I am going to pick Tony Ferguson to win. I feel like he would have brushed off what happened last year. Um, I don't feel like, even though he's in his late 30s, I feel like this is a little bit more difficult with the, the lighter weight classes. When it, when it comes to light heavyweight and heavyweight, when someone's 37 years of age, you think, ah, you know, they st they've still got some years left in them. But Tony Ferguson's style, it's so unpredictable. I feel like he can still, on his best night, still deliver the goods. And he's going to have to be at his absolute best to stop Benil Dariush, who's coming into this weekend on a, on a six-fight win streak, all the momentum in, in the world. And he's had a good couple of years now where everyone's starting to take notice of him a little bit more. And like you said, he's a, he's a very nice guy as well. But I still feel like Tony Ferguson, he's, he's like 
still one of those big characters in the UFC that didn't become a UFC undisputed champion, hasn't had those real big epic fights against legitimate draws like a Conor McGregor or, or a Nate Diaz, but has cultivated this personality that outside of the hardcore fan base, people still know him. People still know who Tony Ferguson is and they know who El Kakui is. They know that guy with the shades. They know that guy that likes to lick his own blood in the cage and is an absolute savage in the octagon and, and all that kind of stuff that comes along with his persona. So I feel like he's going to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's going to have something to prove this weekend. And the fact that he's the co in the co-main event to that lightweight championship bout is only going to prove to, I think, be an incentive for him to put his name back in contention, uh, to prove a point, put on a performance, and then based off of that, perhaps shimmy his way into a situation where he's maybe just one more fight away from hopefully fighting for a lightweight championship again. So I'm picking Tony Ferguson, Simon. I, I feel like this is going to be a bit of a flip, a flip of the coin situation. It can go yeah. either way. And I'm not going to be surprised whatsoever if Benil Dariush gets it done here. But I feel like Tony Ferguson still has it in him to deliver the goods. And I think he's going to do it in the weekend. Yeah, I'll tell you something. Something un so It's very underestimated about Tony Ferguson. And people laugh at him for this. Have you ever tried tweeting while uh, putting a capital letter at the start of every word? That's kind of tiring. Like, and he does it effortlessly. Like that seems to be his thing. He caps up every word on his, I don't know how he does it. I don't know, you know, whether he's got some sort of setting, but that's, that's a tiring thing to do, especially if you're doing it on your phone. So there's a lot of back and forth with the shift key and stuff. I don't know. I don't know why he does that, but um, it's one of the things that makes Tony Ferguson, Tony Ferguson. But uh, yeah, Benil Dariush, six fight win streak. Listen to these names, right? Tiago Moises, he got a decision against him. He submitted Drew Dober. He submitted Frank Camacho. He knocked out Drakkar Close. He knocked out Scott Holtzman. And he got a split decision against Carlos Diego Ferreira, who was on a good run of, uh, of form himself last time out. That's a solid That's a solid resume if you're looking at his, uh, his last six. And uh, he's won four bonuses um, out of his last five fights as well. He missed weight for the Holtzman fight. Otherwise, he probably would have won another one. So, um, fight of the night in his last fight, and then he's at three performance of night bonuses. He's not just winning. He's winning in exciting fashion, and that's why I'm really absolutely pumped for this fight on Saturday night. That's going to be an absolute barn burner. I expect there to be plenty of blood on the canvas after that one. Uh, that's Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush. Now, there's business to be attended to at £125. The women's flyweight division has a problem. Valentina Shevchenko is just too damn good. No matter who they put in with her, she just swats them away with, with absolute ease. And uh, the problem now is, who's next? Who's next to get in there and challenge her for the belt? Caitlin Chikagian wants another go. Vivian Araujo wants her first attempt. And Araujo is moving up to take on Chikagian, who has been ranked in the top two or three in the UFC Women's Flyweight Division for what seems like forever. And uh, unfortunately, because she hasn't been able to really parlay that ranking into a championship win, she's now a borderline gatekeeper for anybody who wants to challenge for the belt. If you can get past Caitlin, then you've got a strong case for a shot at the belt because Chukagian, while she hasn't been able to beat Shevchenko, has been able to beat pretty much everybody else, bar Jessica Andrade, I think. 
uh, in that UFC women's flyweight division. She's she's a very technically sound fighter. Um, and uh, this is an interesting matchup. Arujo looking to gate crash the championship pitcher at 125. Can she get past the blonde fighter on Saturday night, Sandu, or is Chikagian going to notch another another win and maybe push her claims for a rematch? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's it's tough to get a rematch against the champion in Valentina Shevchenko, especially when your first opportunity to fight her was so definitive and you've kind of alternated wins and losses since. It's another story if you're able to put together this incredible run of wins. You've been finishing opponents left, right, and center, and you've got this incredible win streak. So that's going to be a little bit tough. Even if Caitlin Chikagin is to win, it's going to be tough to put yourself back into title contention. Um, I think this is really good matchmaking and, and, and it's purely set up to see if Vivian Araujo can get that win. Because right now, in that flyweight division, it's all about trying to produce contenders for Valentina Shevchenko. We know that she's going to be the, the lopsided favorite against anyone she competes against at 125 pounds. The, the challenge the UFC has is to bring forward contenders that are fresh matchups that she hasn't fought before um, and there's a compelling reason why they should be fighting the champion. So in Vivian Araujo's case, she's got two wins back-to-back under a belt against Montana De La Rosa and Roxanne Modaferi. She's currently ranked, where is she? Vivian Araujo is ranked number seven. Caitlin Chukagian is ranked number two. So you would imagine that a win over Chukagian would break her well into the top five, maybe number two, number three, number four, something like that. And that's all it takes, Simon. That's all it takes uh, to then put a compelling case forward uh, for her to fight for a championship later in the year. So I'm going to be leaning towards Caitlin Chukagian here. I think she's going to win this fight. I think it's going to be tough for Vivian Araujo. I feel like Caitlin Chukagian is the the more well-rounded fighter, has more experience, has seen it, done it all, has fought the absolute best in terms of the champion, uh, Shevchenko, and obviously has gone away and has tried to reinvent herself, has tried to improve her skill set because she's trying to get back to a title opportunity. So I feel like she's going to have just a little bit too much for Vivian Araujo, but make no mistake about it, if Araujo wins, she's going to put herself into a situation where she could be fighting for the title later this year. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think if you take a look at Araujo's record, it is really an indicator of how there are levels when it comes to uh, women's mixed martial arts, she was finishing everybody in sight uh, in her early career. And uh, then she got to the UFC. She got a knockout on her debut. And then since then, every single fight has gone to the scorecards. You take a look at Caitlin Chikagian. Caitlin Chikagian is, her nickname's Blonde Fighter, but you could almost, it's kind of a cruel nickname. You could almost call her a decision fighter because 12 of her 15 wins have been on the scorecards. And all of her wins in the UFC have been on the scorecards. Um, and uh, that's just her fighting style. You know, she's got that good, solid kickboxing style, works behind the jab, has good movement, excellent footwork, and uh, picks people off on the way in. She doesn't have concussive knockout power. Her record says that. Um, but what she does is she outstrikes people. She outworks people. She's got the gas tank to outwork people and get all the way to uh, a judge's decision. If she could start finishing people, 
then I think she starts to build a really compelling case for a championship rematch because that really is the only thing missing uh, from her record. You know, she lost to Jessica Andrade and Valentina Shevchenko, uh, got stopped by both the, of, of those. But her other two defeats were both by split decision to Jessica I and Liz Carmouche, both former championship contenders uh, in the UFC, albeit at different weight classes. Um, so she has been an excellent, excellent campaigner at 125 pounds. But what's going to carry her sort of just sort of carry her over to say, hey, I need another title shot. What I'm the number one contender here. I am the best available contender at 125 pounds. Obviously, she needs a win. If she can get a finish. That's as that's as much as you could possibly possibly wish for. Um, if I was a betting man, I would be betting the over. I would be betting Caitlin Chikagian by decision. I think this fight is pretty much nailed on to go to a decision. And uh, if it does, I think Caitlin Chikagian will be the one getting her hand raised at the end of it. So uh, I think, did you, did you say you, you picked Caitlin as well? I did, yeah. Yeah, so we're both we're both in agreement on that one. So we, we opposed for the first two fights on the card, but we're in agreement. Caitlin Chikagian to get the job done against Vivian Arujo, most likely on the scorecards. Now, before that fight, Sandu, we've got a fight that I think threatens to steal the show. Featherweight bout, Hurricane Shane Burgos, Edson Barbosa. This fight just has violence written all over it. I cannot wait for this one. Um, if this fight goes the distance, I think we could be looking at a potential fight of the year candidate. I really do. Uh, if it doesn't go the distance, then we could well see a highlight reel finish. That's what we're preparing for heading into this. Having said all of this and knowing my, my, my track record at jinxing everything, it probably means the fight's going to stink the place out, but I, I really can't see that happening. Sandu, these two guys are too good. Their fighting styles are too entertaining. And I just cannot wait to see. Burgos and Barboza throwing down in front of 10,000 screaming nutcases in Houston, Texas. I think they're going to take the roof off the place. But who's going to get the job done? What do you reckon? I'm a big fan of Shane Burgos, Simon. You know, the, the fight he had last year against Josh Emmett was one of the fights of the year. It really was. It was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And, and I'm kind of glad he's almost taken a full year out since that loss. And I'm, because I'm sure, you know, he, he took some serious damage in that one. But he probably learned a lot from that fight as well. And I feel like he's fighting Edson Barboza at probably the most perfect time you can. Because overall, over the last four or five years, the form guide hasn't been great with Edson Barboza. He's had so many fights um, that have you know gone to decision. He's lost. You can argue one way or the other. He's had some knockout losses and TKO losses to Kevin Lee, Justin Gaethje. But he got back on the, the right track. He got back in the win column against Makwan Amir Khani. And I feel like this is the perfect time to match him up against someone like Shane Burgos, who's really coming up in the game. You know they're going to produce fireworks. I'm picking Shane Burgos to win this one, Simon. I really am. I feel like he's slightly younger, has taken less damage. Yes, he's got less experience than Edson Barboza, but I feel like he's fighting him at the, the, at the almost the most perfect time you can fight him. Just because I've, I don't feel like in the even in the Makwana Amerikani fight, we saw the best of Edson Barboza. I feel like Edson Barboza's prime has probably gone by now, and it's the right time to match him up against someone that's a little bit younger in Shane Burgos. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Edson Barboza can still produce 
an incredible moment of magic. He can probably still produce a spinning heel kick like he did against Terry M way back in the day. Um, I just feel like Shane Burgos is going to have a little bit too much for him. But I, I'm telling you right now, and I, I can completely co-sign with you, Simon, this one right here could be fire tonight on Saturday. It's it's going to be so much fun. However this thing pans out, it is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm I'm in agreement with you when it comes to the pick. I think Edson Barboza has got quite a few miles on the tank uh, on 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 the, on the clock at this point, and uh, he's lost five of his last seven. And they've got a common opponent in Macwan Amekani, who uh, Burgess fought in uh, 2019, and Barboza fought in 2020, and uh, Burgos got himself a third round TKO finish back at UFC 244. Barboza went to the scorecards. Um, you would think on paper, if and if, if you went up to someone and said, if these guys fought Macwan Amerikani, one of them finished him, which one would it be? The natural thought, I think, because of his reputation would be, you think, oh, Edson Barboza got the finish. Well, it wasn't. It was Shane Burgos. And... Um, Burgos is in decent. Other than he's lost to Josh Emmett, he's looked pretty solid. You know, he's he's uh, he's been in there with some good guys. You know, he, he he's gone the distance with Cub Swanson and edged a decision against a really a really really decorated veteran and someone who has been around the sport for so long and is knows all the ins and outs when it comes to striking inside the uh, inside the octagon. Um, he's been in there with some good guys. He's been in there with a dangerous grappler in Charles Rosa. He put him he put him away. Um, and obviously he's been in there with Macwana Mekani, who is a smothering, suffocating wrestler with, with submission skills, and he put him away. So um, I'm fascinated by this matchup, but I think I think you go with the guy who, who looks the fresher. You go with the guy who seems to have the better, the better recent body of work. And if you do that, you go with uh, you go with Shane Burgos. But I wouldn't put anything past Edson Barboza producing a moment of magic in his fight because Burgos fights coming forward. Uh, Barboza fights coming forward. They're going to meet inside the cage. They're both going to land their strikes on each other. And it's going to be a case of who can take whose shots the best. And uh, when, when, when you have a fight like that, all bets are off. All bets are off. Anything could happen. But looking at things on paper, and fights aren't one on paper, they're one on canvas. But I think Shane Burgos has the narrow edge going into this one. So, uh, yeah, put me down for Hurricane Shane to get the job done against Barboza. And kicking off the main card is a, a pretty a pretty significant fight at 135 pounds. Matt Schnell versus Rogerio Bonterin. Uh, and the winner of this is going to move themselves up significantly uh, in that 135-pound bantamweight division. Um, do you have a view on how this one is going to pan out, Sandu? If I'm being honest, Simon, this is probably the, the one fight on this main card that I probably thought the least about, only because these lads are very lucky. They've been bumped up into this main card position because Diaz and, and Leon Edwards have, have been moved off this card. So, you know, they've got an opportunity here to kick off the main card, a pay-per-view main card, with all the fans in attendance, Bruce Buffer giving it the large on the microphone, it's time, and all that business. And we all know that bantamweights, you know, you can have a, a really good argument whether bantamweights, featherweights, or lightweights, pound for pound, produce the best fights. Because the bantamweights over the last couple of, couple of years, my lord, they've been really producing the goods. So 
I don't know if I'm leaning one way or the other in this one. Again, just going on the form guide, I probably will be leaning towards Matt Schnell. Rogerio Bontorin is coming off of back-to-back losses. Matt Schnell, he's, you know, been mostly in the win column over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious to see who can deliver the goods, who can make a name for themselves and who can crack into that top 15. Yeah, I was really impressed with Matt Schnell last time out against Tyson Nam. It was a split decision on the scorecards, but I thought he fought superbly in that fight. Really slick boxing, working behind his jab against a guy who went into that fight. I know a lot of people had him picked because Tyson Nam's got some serious knockout power at 135 pounds. And uh, Schnell just boxed him and and did a really good job. And uh, I know it goes down as a split decision, but that for me doesn't tell the whole story of just how good Matt Schnell looked in that fight. So I'm definitely leaning towards him to get the job done against, against Bonterin, who um, has been a little bit hit and miss in the UFC. He's got the potential to be, to be right up there, but he, he went to a decision with Ray Borg and lost. Uh, he got knocked out quickly by Kai Kara France, um, who is making waves himself at 135 pounds. So yeah, it's going to be, I think, I think it could be a fun way to kick off the main card um, and a decent, decent bit of matchmaking uh, just to get the crowd warmed up. One of those fights where um, unless you're one of the real hardcores and you've got a strong preference heading into this fight, it's just one of those fights where you turn a telly on and you've got two guys just going for it to sort of really get the party started at the start of a pay-per-view. That's what this fight is all about. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, give me match now to get the one uh, to get the win. And uh, I suspect it will be on the scorecards. I think this one co- could go all three rounds, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But Sandy, that's UFC 262. It is going to be a lot of fun Saturday night. I think it will be the usual start times, uh, which will be like an 11.30 start for the early prelims, one o'clock start for the TV prelims, and then the pay-per-view portion of the card will be a 3 a.m. start. Uh, and of course, that will all be on BT Sport. or the, Well, the televised portions of it will be BT Sport. Um, and uh, the very early prelims will be on UFC Fight Pass. But um, I think, Sandy, that probably wraps us all up this week. I'm really buzzing for these fights this weekend. It's going to be a cracker. Yeah, shame we lost Diaz and Edwards, but that's being saved for the pay-per-view next month. That aside, though, this should be an absolute banger of a card, and it's obviously going to be accentuated by the fact that this is still only just the second UFC event with a packed arena. So it's going to be fascinating to see if Houston can bring it just like Jacksonville did. But yeah, that's the show. Uh, if anyone wants to, to follow us, uh, the best way to do that is go to our website, the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. And from there, you can find us on Apple, on Spotify. You can follow the show on social media. You can follow myself and Simon on social media as well. And a quick note for those of you that listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you can do us a solid rate and review us, that's just the way things work on Apple. The more uh, ratings and reviews you get, um, the the more uh, the show gets uh, pushed uh, and it's easier for the show to get found by new listeners. So if you can do that, that'd be fantastic. The fans are back. The big fights are back. Uh, the Brit Pack's been with you all the way through the pandemic, but now things are starting to kick up a gear and this weekend is going to be absolutely superb enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll be back next week to unpack it all right here on the Brit Pack